Welcome to Malika Uncensored, the podcast where politically correct commentary has left the building. It's time out for us not saying the things we feel. It's time for direct talk about real issues. So buckle up because we will be talking about things from pop culture, social issues, breaking news to politics. No topic is off limits and no one is safe. So this is Malika Uncensored, the podcast where I give it to you straight with no chaser. So this week's episode is simply titled The Black Delegation Request to Trade. And when I was putting this together, um, I was really just looking at the prevalence of stories of people within the Black community who, for whatever reason, feel it's their need to almost denigrate and downplay what has been happening in um, the Black community since our existence began in the United States in 1619. Um, And so I wanted to just put an episode together to talk about that. So stay tuned. This is episode two, the Black Delegation Request to Trade. So I wanted to start this episode with Um, just a historic perspective of looking at what it means to be anti-Black in the United States. And so that's a term that has been used since 1836. And simplistically, it just means being opposed to or hostile towards Black people. But there's a history that goes with this that is not so simplistic. I feel like just saying that oversimplifies it and it removes the potency of how devastating um, and how poisonous this particular mindset is. What we're looking at in the United States historically is that a structure has been created to basically oppress and keep down perpetually a group of people. Anti-Blackness is the inability for someone to recognize the humanity in a Black person. Our reality right now is that the violence that we see that is a very real thing in a Black life is not just simply based on um, something that person did, but it is on the fact that that person is racially Black. The violence that we experience is not tied to a past transgression. It's not connected to something that we did that basically warranted the reaction that we as a people have experienced for hundreds of years. The hateness, the hatred of our Blackness is just so prevalent, but it's so complex that it's almost as if some people don't want to know about it because it's so complicated to unravel or they're oblivious to the fact that it exists. So when you look at situations like George Floyd, like Breonna Taylor, like um, an example that I saw in an article that happened in Santa Clarita, California, which is a state that I live in, where people called the police for assistance for a group of black boys who were being harassed 
And when those police showed up at that particular scene, they pulled rifles on the very people that they were supposed to be there to assist in spite of all the people there at the scene telling them that they had the wrong person. That just shows you how, just how vile anti-Blackness is. It's almost as if there's not a word strong enough to explain the severity of what that is. We can talk about the fact that whips were used and chains were used back during slavery, um, how slave patrols of the 18th century were basically the modern, were the ancestor to the modern day version of police departments. And we can't really understand, those who are outside of our community can't really understand why we protest, why we're out here, why George Floyd's death or his murder is probably the best way to say this, was such a thing to, to be a catalyst to the action that we're seeing across the globe. They can't understand it, but put it in the perspective of you being a person and being considered property. You come to this country and you build it. You literally spill your blood, your sweat, your tears on the soil and you get no compensation. An entire global economy is built on your backs, but yet you're still, your life is still not considered to be valuable. That is why anti-Blackness is a problem. So with that being said, what happens when you see anti-Blackness or anti-Black activists and they're from our community? That's the problem I have. And I know it's really easy to go to calling them a coon and all these other, you know, nice words. Well, I don't want to say nice because that's probably not an accurate way to say that. But these words that we like to use that we feel like capsulizes who they are and what their behavior is. But I feel like it's even more catastrophic than that. When we see people like Candace Owens and we listen to what she says, when we see a Terry Crews and we watch the things that he says, the things that he tweets out, when we see um, a, a Daryl Scott who is willing to placate and tap dance for a president who has no desire to help the Black community in any kind of way, and his behavior has shown that. When we see so many people support things that are clearly anti-Black or people that are clearly anti-Black and they're Black themselves, it makes me just wonder what is really going on. Because there's no way a rational mind can look at what the Black community has experienced historically in the United States, can look at what is happening and find a way in the midst of all of that to not only play down the severity of the situation, but almost to the point they blame that black body for what it is going through. They blame the black body for being lynched. They're blaming the black body for being beat. They're blaming the black body for being taken into slavery. It's almost to me, I look at it like there's got to be some type of mental illness going on of some kind. And I know professionally, I can't say that, but this is Malika, you know, uncensored. So these are my thoughts, just my personal viewpoints 
there has to be something psychologically going on for you to see that and be able to speak in a way that aligns with the oppressor. I don't understand it. And there's almost, it's so challenging for me sometimes to articulate it because it's very frustrating. You know, it, it's very, for me, there's just a reality that they're denying in order to align themselves to a group of people who are the perpetrators of this particular type of behavior in this country. And so, although I'm gonna be very tongue in cheek and humorous with the way that I approach this, I wanted to kind of give this historical context because I feel like the severity of what we're dealing with, people often don't understand how serious this is. They think that slavery is over. They see the fact that so many um, Black people are now achieving and they're now progressing, that that means that things are better. And they don't realize that that is not what's really being said. There's no way for a group of people who have for hundreds of years been at every turn given roadblocks to stop their success or it to just be overcome in a few decades because of some half-hearted legislation that was passed. I mean, let's, let's really dig into this because I just want to give this, it's like I was prepping for um, the next semester of work that I have and I teach African-American psychology and just looking into historically the, the, the crafting of the system of racism in the United States not that I wasn't aware, it just really just was glaring in my, in my face all over again. Like this system of power was basically created on the foundation of the transatlantic slave trade. That's what created the system of the United States. African people were stolen from their country by European colonizers and brought to the United States to work as slaves just simply for their purposes, whether it were financial purposes or whatever else that they had designed, they were robbed from their land, bodies stolen for the purposes of another group of people. Slave labor produced commodities that were sold globally. It created the modern day global capitalism that we see. It also created a system of racial hierarchy. It placed whites on top of blacks and it didn't matter whether or not the blacks were free or were slaves. What also occurred was a transfer of wealth from black labor to white property owners because the blacks were never compensated, the slaves were never compensated for their work. And even those who were white that didn't own slaves were able to amass wealth because blacks were politically and economically oppressed. That laid the foundation for the massive wealth gap that we see that exists within institutions within the United States. So to basically come in and say that it's 2020 and black people should be able to achieve, there's so many opportunities here, is not only logically fallible, it's not based on the evidence that we have, the data that we have that shows how this system was carefully crafted to be. You can't unravel that simply by passing affirmative action legislation. 
you can't unravel that by simply saying we need to reform the police department. You can't unravel that by simply finding ways to reverse voter suppression and expand the right to vote. Yes, we want those things to happen, but that is not going to be enough to undo basically the heart issue that the United States has. It's evil at its core. It's corrupted at its core. And so that is something that needs to be addressed. And that is the reason why I take great offense to people minimizing the struggle, the suffering of what my people went through. I have a problem if you look like me and you can fix your mouth or fix your fingers to type things to basically minimize what we have experienced as a people. The fact that many of us African-Americans don't know where they descended from because of the fact that we were stolen and disconnected from our lineage, that we have to figure out through DNA and ancestry where we came from, because it's not something that we knew and it was no fault of our own. So I have a problem with that. So I'm gonna be back and we're really gonna get into this and I'm gonna explore some cases or some you know, free agents that I feel like need to be on the trade market that the black delegation needs to get rid of. So let's look at the number one draft pick for this draft by the Black delegation. And so the number one free agent on the market right now, I would have to say is Kanye West. And so I wanted to go back in his history with Donald Trump to give perspective before we get into his latest shenanigans that are all over social media. So remember back in 2009 when Kanye infamously interrupted Taylor Swift's uh, MTV Music Award acceptance speech with the, you know, the thing that we like to see, you know, yo Taylor, I'm happy for you. I'm gonna let you finish. The one that we always use about, I'm gonna let you finish. That's the first time that we um, publicly see an interaction between Trump and Kanye. And actually it was more so Trump making a comment about Kanye's behavior, saying that he considered it to be disgusting what Kanye did interrupting Taylor Swift. And so the next thing we know, um, we see 2014 roll around and Kanye is about to get married to Kim Kardashian and Trump basically wishes them well and congratulates them on his upcoming wedding, more so compliments him. And so he says that he thought that they were both very nice people and wish them the best of luck. And we know he puts very nice in front of a lot of things about people that we know are not very nice, but I digress. A year after that, 2015, Kanye wins the Video Vanguard Award for the MTV VMAs. And he talked about then his plans to run for president in 2020 during a speech that he gave, an acceptance speech that was 13 minutes long. Trump then called that speech and the declaration interesting. That took place roughly two months after 
Trump had announced his bid for the Republican nomination for the 2016 presidential election. And so we look at 2016, the presidential election is happening. Kanye comes out and says that he did not vote, which is a whole side conversation. But he said if he had voted, that he would have chosen Trump over Hillary Clinton. So obviously he got booed. He said this at a concert and he was definitely booed for saying that. And this is in stark contrast to his wife's political opinions, which is not necessary to this conversation, but I just thought I'd throw this in there because she has posted um, pictures of her with Hillary Clinton at the time and showing that that who is who she supported for president. So now let's look at some of the statements that Kanye said post-election 2016, all right? So first, let's start with December of 2016. He visits Trump Tower, the famous picture of him smiling um, in the lobby of Trump Tower in a picture with Donald Trump, precedes some of the crazy information or crazy statements that Kanye has come out and said. Um, it's just, uh, some of the stuff is like, when I go back and look at it, it's just so bizarre that you know that there's something underlying this beyond just being brainwashed or being caught up in the hype of a political candidate. Like there's something more there, but I still feel like it's part of his stats and we need to put it out there. Um, we often know that Harriet Tubman is considered the Moses of her people because she led them out of slavery because of her being such a famed abolitionist and the amount of people she was able to help. Kanye goes on to say that she never actually freed the slaves, that she just had the slaves go work for other white people. All right. So that's just one statement. Right. Um, you almost have to laugh because it's so ridiculous, but he never stops at just one ridiculous statement. So his most recent, well, not most recent. So the next ridiculous statement um, that Kanye makes, and I believe this was back in 2018, he's doing an interview. And in the beginning of the interview, he opens up about his mental health, his family, his art. But then you get the other side of Kanye, where he says, when you hear about slavery for 400 years, for 400 years, that sounds like a choice. You were there for 400 years and it's all of y'all. It's like we're mentally imprisoned. The problem we have with that is to basically say that simply because we had numbers and it lasted for 400 years that we chose to stay there is just dumb. And I already got into that, into the opening of this episode. So I'm not going to rehash that particular point, but that just gets you into the mind of Kanye. Some more stuff from 2018, where he starts expressing his admiration for Trump, calling him his brother, saying that they both have dragon energy. 
Um, and Trump responding, saying, thank you, you know, very cool. This is the establishment of Kanye aligning himself consistently with Donald Trump. And for me, I feel like he solidified his position in the pro-Trump camp when he visited the White House in late 2018 wearing the signature MAGA hat that we have come to, or I have come to despise, and the meaning behind it. So now, when we look at Kanye West running for president and what that actually means, the fact that him running for president is a political ploy, ploy to basically keep in office the person that has caused havoc on the United States in a variety of ways. It was just like the precursor to, to that. Like this is like the ultimate version of the crap he's pulled for the last probably, let's just go back maybe 10 years to when his behavior became bizarre and widely known because it was captured. This um, goes back and it just doubles down on everything you could have thought that he did that was ridiculous. This trumps, no pun intended, the slavery was a choice comment. Um, this trumps what he said about Harriet Tubman. Like literally, this is the ultimate stupidity. And then if that was not enough, he goes and takes it to nuclear levels. And he says that his campaign is a spoiler campaign. And it is purposely designed to hurt the campaign of Joe Biden. So it's one thing to be an operative. And we can see that you're benefiting in some kind of way financially from being an operative for this person. And when I get into some of these other, these other uh, free agents that are out there, I'll talk about that. But it's another thing to be a pawn in the system or be a pawn for a person that could care not even two cents for you. Like, seriously, you're just there as a means to an end. And the fact that you will purposely do this and then turn around and say that you know that that is what your campaign is designed to do and you're okay with that, yeah, you need to be on the trading block. So America, I don't know, and I shouldn't say America, let's just say black delegation. I don't know who we're trading them for, but let's just say Kanye is the number one free agent on the market and somebody needs to come get it. So the number two free agent out on the market, I would have to say, is Candace Owens. And I went back and forth between her and Terry Crews, but I feel like she wins out. So let's just look at her stats. 
Candace Owens has made it her purpose repeatedly to make sure it's clear what her anti-Black platform is. She's doubled down on her self-hatred with very despicable comments that criminalized George Floyd when he died and even went as far as basically trying to criminalize Ahmaud Arbery with comments that she said, knowing what we know, the fact that he did nothing wrong, that he was simply jogging, and she tried to find a way to criminalize him. Then she turns around and sympathizes with Amy Cooper, AKA Central Park Karen, for calling the police on a black man simply for asking her to leash her dog and basically using it as a threat, all right? So that's her most recent behavior that she's been very consistent with. But the reason why I made her number two is because I don't want to say she's a con artist, but she's definitely an opportunist, and she's one of the most disgusting versions of that. So let's just go with the receipts that we have, shall we? In 2007, she filed a lawsuit against the NAA, with the NAACP, let me make that clear, not against, with the NAACP, a group that she now calls one of the worst groups for Black people. She filed a racial, dissemination, racial discrimination lawsuit in 2007, where she include, accused some white boys of racially harassing and threatening to kill her. She claimed that the boys were sons of then Stanford Mayor Daniel Malloy, the Connecticut former governor. Because of the NAACP, her family received a settlement of $37,500 from the Stanford Public Schools. In 2014, after she began to align herself as a conservative, and very much setting the foundation of her anti-Black um, position, the Connecticut NAACP president, who was also the person that helped in 20, 2007 her with her lawsuit, was very shocked and saddened and disappointed by the fact that she was now trying to play to a different demographic. He basically said that it's the same thing that Clarence Thomas did. Reap the benefits of affirmative action and then try to roll over it on it. It's a mentality to me that's disrespectful. So fast forward to 2018, BuzzFeed reports that Candace Owens was the CEO of an anti-Trump liberal leaning website called Degree 180. They found where in 2015 that she wrote that it was good news that the Republican Tea Party will eventually die off peacefully in their sleep, we hope. These are her words. Degree 180 also talked about Trump's penis size and him being a racist with an immigrant wife, and I'm not going to get into all of his anatomy. I don't care about that part. But the site was reportedly shut down by the end of 2016, and magically, after that is done, Candace Owens comes out as a conservative on YouTube a few months later. So, Back in 2018, March of that year, she finds her way onto TV stations until she eventually makes it to basically her mountaintop Fox News. 
She spits out a line on there that goes viral that has now made her the darling for pseudo-conservatives. She said that the NRA, the National Rifle Association, was founded as a civil rights organization that protected Black people from the KKK. Of course, the Fox News host says, I've never heard that before. That's so interesting. The reason why she never heard it before is because it's actually not true. And if you think I'm making up that statement, just Google it and the clip will come up. This was fact-checked by PolitiFact. They confirmed that she either lied or she's just willfully ignorant. On the NRA's own website, it says that is dismayed by the lack of marksmanship shown by their troops, Union veterans, Colonel William C. Church and General George Wingate formed the National Rifle Association in 1871. The primary goal of the association would be to promote and encourage rifle shooting on a scientific basis, according to a magazine that was written, an editorial in the magazine that was written by Colonel Church, all right? But that fraud comment that she put out there now made her a media darling because now she is exactly what those, and I don't want to label all conservatives this way, but I will label them radical conservatives, Trump conservatives, Tea Partiers, whatever you want to call them, that group of people, she's a media darling for them and what they were looking for. It was like a gift that was laid at their feet. So some more of her stats. Back in January of this year, 2020, so pre-corona, you know, wreaking havoc, she attacked New York representative AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, for being fiscally responsible because the newly elected congresswoman couldn't afford an apartment in Washington, D.C. However, a reporter exposed Candace for her two-facedness, and I know that's not a word, but we're going to use it, by posting a copy of a lawsuit that shows she rented a $3,500 a month apartment, lived there for six months rent-free, claimed she had gotten toxic mold sickness, and threatened to sue her landlord to avoid paying rent. And they posted the legal documents to prove it. So you come out bad-mouthing a liberal politician for not having the funds to be able to live in D.C., knowing that, number one, she came from an average, everyday working job. And I'm trying to remember, and I don't want to say this inaccurately, I want to say it might have been a waitress or something of that nature, but she came from not a position of being a businessman or a lawyer or something of that nature. She was a grassroots person that had a voice that mobilized and was able to successfully win her campaign. So as this starts to unfold, more information starts to come out months later after she goes at ALC as hard as she did. So the obvious question that a lot of people asked was, if the place was so unlivable, why stay there for six months, even if you're staying there for free? Why not get out? And if you can afford an apartment for $3,500 a month, you can afford to get something that's better. So that just shows the hypocrisy of Candace Owens. So let's add some more to her stats. Like, let's do an autopsy of her socially. 
she has launched an anti-cyberbullying campaign. And she basically had a Kickstarter campaign that she used to raise the funds to do that. She raised $75,000 for work that she likely did not actually do. And you're looking for and trying to find this database that she said that she was going to create on anti-bullying to tag offensive speech found on social media, and you actually can't find that. So all of us who look at her sideways and attack her and label her as an opportunist are not far-fetched with what we're saying. We're not off base. We're not being overly critical. We're not being a hater, if that's what you want to use. But we're calling a spade a spade. She benefited from being Black when it benefited her until she found another way to be more lucrative in what she was trying to do. I guess being a liberal didn't pay her enough, so she decided that she was going to switch teams. And the best way to get on another team is to show how valuable you are. Most people, when they're, and I, I use this because everyone knows I'm a sports fanatic and basketball is my favorite sport. And so one of the best ways to show your value and possible, possibly get traded is to start to play in a way that attracts attention from other people, the other teams. And that's what Candace Owens has done. So we, the Black delegation, with this number two free agent, draft pick, whichever one you want to call her, on the market, we say, y'all can have her. She's available. She's got to go. So since I'm almost out of time, I decided to save one of our free agents slash draft picks, however you want to call this or label them for the make it make sense segment. So, Jesus, just looking at this, it's just, it, it just makes me want to laugh and scream at the same time. Terry Crews, the actor, sparked a lot of controversy on Twitter when he tweeted, if you're a child of God, you are my brother and sister. I have family of every race, creed, and ideology. We must ensure that hashtag Black Lives Matters doesn't morph into hashtag Black Lives Better. And he offered another version of the same sentiment in another tweet where he says, defeating white supremacy without white people creates Black supremacy. Equality is truth. Like it or not, we are all in this together. So he basically in the midst of an increasing prevalence of very pro-Black stance within the Black community, especially among Black activists, and even among non-people of color who are now standing up with a pro-Black stance, has decided that the best way he could use his Black skin is to basically say that us valuing our lives and feeling that we are important and feeling that we have worth and feeling that we have value is saying that we are better than someone else. That's why I need Terry to make this make sense for me. 
He basically is saying all lives matter without saying all lives matter. He is basically also saying that being pro-black is being anti-everything else. He's affirming that blackness that is not centered around white allyship will take you to black supremacy. The problem is he doesn't have an understanding of the basic way that race science forms and functions. That's how we got systemic racism in the first place. So I'm not going to go into a history lesson, but I need Terry to make this make sense. There's nothing he could say here that could lead from us being black and proud to us now saying, because you're not black, you have no value and we're better than you. To me, that's you basically taking the talking points and the behavior of the oppressors and what they've done to us and flipping it on us. It's like taking a victim and persecuting the victim, like in a rape case, like in the Me Too cases. And it's just crazy to me because he came out somewhat as a hero for the Me Too movement when he talked about being sexually assaulted in Hollywood. And there were, were also, you know, demographics of people that had other things to say as, a, as opposed to applauding him. But he comes out as a hero during that point, but he comes out not as a villain, but he comes out looking like a clown when it comes to racial issues and the anti-Black sentiment in this country. And so what I look at it as, and this is just me, and there may be other people that have this same opinion when it comes to Terry's behavior and statements when it comes to the protesting and all things Black Lives Matter. He's basically picking a perspective that's safe. He's picking one that will allow not only the white people that he works with to feel comfortable, but the white producers to be more likely to hire him for projects. Not saying that that's the reason why he's doing it, but let's just be real. Some of this stuff is not a surprise coming from Terry. Anti-blackness from him is not something surprising because when have we really seen him do anti, any anti-racism work, it hasn't been something that has been at the forefront. We've never looked at him as an activist for the black community. We've never seen him necessarily affirming in great detail blackness. Like even in him being a champion for Me Too, he wasn't there for his black female colleague Gabrielle Union. And that's a whole separate story. Won't even get into that. So Terry Crews, you are the winner and the candidate for this episode's Make It Make Sense segment. Because truly what you said makes no sense. And I don't even know if you could make it make sense. Be back to close out the episode in just a second. So my closing remarks for this episode are pretty simple and to the point. I used to believe in the we all we got mentality, being that as Black people, we have to stick together. Your Blackness means that there's a camaraderie and a kinship that we are supposed to have. And I've realized over the years, and especially in this year, that 
all skin folk ain't kin folk. If that is not the most truest statement that I have ever heard in my life, it rings true right now. I've given you examples of people who are willing to sell out their own, eat their own young, basically, for their own benefit. And it's time out for us dismissing and downplaying people who share our skin complexion just simply because they're Black and overlooking their outlandish and often dangerous behavior. The problem I, I see with downplaying slavery, the problem I see with downplaying racism in this country, the, down, the downside I see with basically saying that there is no systemic racism and that Black people are okay is that the people that perpetrate the system are validated in their actions. So to sit here and to allow Kanye and Candace Owens and Daryl Scott and Diamond and Silk and the, the running list, growing list of people who are Black, but not really kinfolk, to come out here and continue to be used as pawns is that nothing will ever get changed. You can't heal something if you don't feel that there's a problem. America needs to realize that they have a problem. That's the first step to recovery for the United States of America. If we continue to allow those who tap dance and those who are being used to say what they're saying unchecked, we're also part of the problem. So my advice or my admonishment to all of us is that we stop being silent. We stop allowing stupidity and outlandish things to be said by people that look like us and ignore it as if it's innocuous. It's not, it's harmful. It's part of the problem. And being passive about it and being apathetic about it makes us part of the problem. So I want us to leave this conversation, both serious and humorous in some ways, with a resolve that you're going to be a change agent when it comes to racism in this country. You're going to be a change agent and an advocate for your people in whatever way that you have the ability to use, that you're going to use what you have to make the existence better, if not now, for the generations that will come after us. I do what I do because I want the world to be better for my daughters. I may not be able to see the fruit of what I try to put out, but I want them to be able to see that and for my grandchildren to be able to see that and so forth. So as I like to say, um, which I, I say I like to say, but we're only two episodes in, but I've come up with that this is really what I'm trying to do with this podcast. Let's free our minds. And I feel like the rest of it will follow. Open yourself up. Stop being chained down by propaganda. Use free thinking. Use critical thought. Inform yourself. And I believe that all the other things will fall into place. Until next episode, peace and have a good rest. Thank you for listening to Malika Uncensored. We hope something was said today on this episode that provoked thought, helped you rethink or analyze your perspective or will help you seek out and get more information. You can always follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And the handle is Malika Uncensored Pod. And Malika is spelled M-A-L-A-I-K-A. 
You can also find us on Twitter and the handle is Malika No Filter. Until next time, have a great day. And remember, free your mind, the rest will follow. Thank you.